Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part four of four of our evaluation of GI bleeding. Now, we left off previously speaking about the small bowel. We also spoke about esophagus and stomach. Colon is really where the action is for lower GI bleeding. We speak about inflammatory bowel disease. We speak about colitis, like ischemic colitis. We speak about malignancies like colon cancer. We speak about complications from radiation therapy or chemotherapy, and we think about things like trauma as well. Now, one of the most common causes of GI bleeding, we mentioned about this in the small bowel. In the large bowel, it's less frequent, but it's angiodysplasia. About 6% of cases of lower GI bleeding is an abnormal proliferation of venules and capillaries within the submucosal layer of bowel degeneration of blood vessels related to aging. So angiodysplasia is commonly in an older population. The majority of cases are in the right colon. Colonoscopy is not sensitive for this diagnosis, only identifying about 68% of cases seen on angio. Densely opacified and dilated draining veins, early filling veins, dilated filling arteries, vascular submucosal tufts in the wall of the colon are what you're looking for. And arterial images are typically the key with venous face imaging less important. Now here's a good example. It also shows not only angiodysplasia, but the role of multiplanar uh, reconstructions. When you look quickly here, you don't see much, but if you look carefully at the patient's cecum, you see increased vascularity. That's a real finding. Okay, now when you go to the MIP imaging, look how nicely you see the vessels being fed from the ileocolic vessels. Look at that appearance of these clusters of vessels in the arterial phase. That's angiodysplasia. Again, here it is with a little bit of the MIP and volume rendering. It's a very classic appearance. When you otherwise think about it, what could you be thinking about? A tumor doesn't quite look like tumor because it's fairly long and extensive, but has a very symmetric pattern. It doesn't look like diverticulitis or diverticular disease. It doesn't look like ischemia or IBD. This is angiodysplasia, very nicely shown. And here it is as you go from MIP to volume rendering. Again, very classic. Um, when you're looking at GI bleeding in the uh, colon, diverticular disease is the most common cause of lower GI bleeding. Angioectasia is the most common vascular lesion causing lower GI bleeding and has an increased incidence with age. In the colon, angioectasia is more common in the cecum, like the last case I showed you in the ascending colon. On CT images, angioectasia can appear as punctate or discoid foci of enhancement in the colon wall. As in the small bowel, angioectasias or angiodysplasias, as I like to call them, may be incidental findings unrelated to bleeding as well. So you will see them not uncommonly. We spoke about complications of diverticular disease. And when you think about diverticular disease, it's common, older population. Um, abdominal pain is one of the most common symptoms. One of the second most common symptoms is hemorrhage. Okay, hemorrhage secondary to diverticular disease, the second cause of bleeding of the lower GI tract, but is the main cause of massive bleeding in up to 30 to 50% of cases. 
It's estimated that up to 15% of patients with diverticular disease in the colon will bleed at some point in their life, but bleeding is usually painless and large, and in up to one-third of cases, massive bleeding will occur and will require hospitalization and transfusion support. So only a small percent of patients with diverticulitis or diverticular disease will ever bleed, and we also know that the majority of patients who bleed will only bleed one time. So again, when you think about diverticular disease or diverticulitis, you don't rush to surgery because even if the patient has a bleed, the likelihood it's going to stop and probably never occur again. Obviously, in some cases, you need to resect. The bleeding persists. The extensive inflammation of the bowel is present. But again, management will indeed vary. Uh, in this article by Valencia, the natural history of colonic diverticular hemorrhage indicates that it stops spontaneously in 70 to 80% of cases, so treatment should be directed to support management. In 20 to 30% of cases, specific medical treatment through endoscopic management with any of the available modalities, such as epi injection, thermal or mechanical methods, such as endoscopic clip or ligature, and in a few cases, radiologic or surgical treatment will be necessary. But the majority of cases, things will stop themselves. And as I mentioned, a minority, at best 30% in this article, will present with a second bleed. So again, uh, management is dependent. If you bleed a second time, this rebleeding group has a higher incidence of complications and so will typically get surgery. Now, I mentioned before about dual phase imaging and diverticular disease is a good example. If you look at this case, yes, you see something high density there and you should call suspicious for bleed, no doubt about it. And there it is. But if you went and got the delayed phase imaging, look how much more obvious the blood is. Again, the first one can be subtle. The second one is obvious. Also, when you have that very extensive bleeding, you know this patient, if you send them to angio, the angio should be positive and they should be treated. Again, looking at the 3D volume coronal, there's the blood right there initially, arterial. There it is in venous so much more obvious as shown. Now, what about this case, abdominal pain and GI bleeding? Well, you see a site of bleed and it kind of looks like it should fit in to a diverticulum. There it is again shown on the coronal views as well as on the MIP imaging. And again, you could see it on the MIP from below very nicely showing you the appearance of what is active bleeding from a diverticulum. And as you go to 60 seconds post-injection, you can see the bleed is even more extensive. There's a jet phenomena present. And so in this scenario, it's an obvious case of diverticular disease with GI bleeding, and this patient went for angio and did fine. But again, coronal view showing you the bleed is much more obvious on the venous phase, which gives you great comfort that you will find something at angiography. Another example, Look at the patient's left colon, look at the patient's SMA map. You see at least two areas of high density in the patient's left colon on the MIP imaging. But there's that very bright dot. So now you could say to yourself, is this blood? Yes, it is. Or is it just some foreign matter in the bowel? 
Well, as you go from those images, you also notice that there's some bleeding going on in the distal sigmoid colon down to the area as you get close to rectum. And as you go to venous phase, you can see the bleeding increases. Once again, you should make the diagnosis if it was arterial phase only, but the venous phase makes it easier and you know how you're going to manage the patient. And you could see as you put the two images side by side how much more impressive the venous phase is. And also, you really can get a feel about the act of bleeding that's present. And again, here it is again. So our recommendations, axial imaging, review carefully, review the coronals, review the sagittals to look at the SMA and celiac, and then look at the MIP, and if possible, the volume rendering. If you're doing MIP, a slab of 15 millimeters works well. Do sliding MIP from the coronal, but also from the axial view, and you'll pick up, as in this case, the patient's active bleed in the patient's descending colon. Now, here's another example. This is a patient with bleeding in the transverse colon as well as sigmoid colon. Here it is, the blood in the transverse colon. There it is there. I show this case in part to remind you that when you see a site of bleed, you need to keep looking carefully. Make sure there's not two sites of bleeds. That could be very important if you're planning on operating on the patient or even if you plan on embolizing. See if there are two unique sites of blood present. In this case, the transverse colon is beautifully shown. The bleed is particularly active. And so when you go from arterial to venous, it's particularly impressive. So again, not any great difficulty in making the diagnosis. This case was a bit more challenging. You look at the right colon, it's filled with fluid. Uh, you then go a little bit further and you look and you see this area of high density. Now that could be blood, but it also could be foreign matter, could be contrast present. But you see going back from arterial to venous, you see how things layer out, you see how the appearance changes. That's classic for a GI bleed. Again, beautifully shown arterial to venous, beautifully shown on the coronal view with MIP imaging. Again, you need to put images side by side to really appreciate the changes and what specifically is going on. Okay, very, very important. Uh, in this article by Marty, it goes back a while, talking about how good CTA is in lower uh, GI bleeding. And again, localizing the presence of bleed, where it is and what is the cause. And again, when you wanna argue with someone over nuke studies, nuke studies can be positive. They take longer, they're not as accurate but surely don't show you the location of the primary bleed or the specific cause. In this article by Marty, CTA depicted or help exclude active or recent bleed in 46 of 47 cases or 98%. Pretty, pretty impressive indeed. Same article speaking about CTA as the first step, not only for angiography, but also for colonoscopy. So again, thinking about the inpatient service, the ER service, go to CTA, detect the bleed, then make a decision how to manage that patient. And again, um, urgent CT is useful for determining the optimal timing of colonoscopy. And this is a great article. This was from Internal Medicine Journal. And again, uh, remember, 
people have felt, oh, let's go straight to colonoscopy for a lower GI bleed, which may be a mistake. You may have a lot of blood press and you can't find the cause, or you may not see anything. Here, again, use CTA, and depending what the CTA is, go from there. And as mentioned before, in patients who have positive CTA bleed, those patients are more than three times as likely to have findings of importance and management on the colonoscopy. Now, let me go down to the lower part of the colon, the rectum. Rectal bleeding is not uncommon. Angiodysplasia, AVM, rectal varices, particularly related to cirrhosis, diverticulosis, stuchoral colitis, cancer, radiation, ischemic, and infectious colitis are all possibilities. And we wrote this article, uh, this was Shiva Raman when he was with us, speaking about uh, the uh, presence of rectal bleeding and the role, how 3D plays a very valuable role in detecting the presence of bleed, but also in defining the extent. Here's a good example. First thing to notice is the bright enhancement of the rectum and the perirectal tissues in a patient with ulcerative colitis. Look how the brightness of the enhancement on the sagittal view. When you do the uh, MIP imaging, you see the IMA, you see the feeding vessels, you see the blush of the patient's rectum. This is a patient with active GI bleeding. Just a really nice example. Here it is on the volume rendered views, and here it is on the MIP imaging as well. So this rectal bleeding with the diffuse enhancement, classic appearance of patient with varices at times. Uh, varices, the vessels are often large, but again, a very nice appearance showing you with bone removal how good we can do in creating maps, uh, be it on the sagittal MIP or the coronal MIP images. And you can also do negative display since some surgeons like that. And it can be helpful showing you, as in this case, the irregular vessels in the lower portion of the rectum. Rectal varices are most commonly seen in the setting of cirrhosis and portal hypertension. Often you'll see a really nodule liver. Portal vein may or may not be patent, but there are large retroperitoneal varices, splenal renal shunting, and then you see prominent rectal varices as well. These can cause bleeding. Remember, just like in the esophagus, if the scan is too early, you'll see soft tissue thickening, but you won't see the varices. Hemorrhoids at times can, can be confused with varices, uh, but the large serpentinous veins can be seen with uh, around the rectum uh, and rectal wall. Um, again, venous phase is best, but you know, it can be somewhat of a challenge at times. Not, not notably, unlike a rectal AVM, these serpiginous vessels do not enhance on the arterial phase images, and no early draining vein should be present. Given that bleeding from rectal varices is venous in nature, active extravasation is almost never visualized. Now, I will say sometimes we do see blood present, but I think the point is arterial bleeding, it's active bleed, you see it early and late. On venous phase imaging, you perhaps infer it by the fluid present, but also the very large varices seen. So that becomes important. Beautiful example of rectal varices in this patient with GI bleed. There's no doubt that's the cause of the GI bleed. Here it is again, when you look at the coronal view, and you could follow it down. If you look at this image, you can see very nicely, 
as we go down through the patient's rectum, you can see the enhancement of the normal bowel, both small bowel and large bowel. And as you scan down toward the patient's rectum, you then come into the multiple varices that are present, very nicely shown. Uh, you can see it's coming in right now. It's eccentric. There's the vessel feeding into it. That's the bright enhancement, beautifully shown. And you could see it as well when you get to the coronal view. But again, a very nice way of looking at the patient's colon. And here it is when you go to MIP imaging, the prominent feeding vessels, the whole process. And you know, this is the cause of the patient's GI bleed. It becomes somewhat obvious in that regard. And here it is again, just another set of images. Now in patients with portal hypertension, rectal varices are common occurring in up to three quarters of patients, although significant bleeding has been reported in less than 5%. Again, the appearance, serpiginous vessels within the rectal wall that are best defined on venous phase imaging. Okay, so that becomes very, very important. Uh, one of the things to recognize about uh, processes that involve the rectum, if you wait too long, you're not gonna see them. Here, early phase imaging shows you the vessels and the varices really nicely. On late phase imaging, you see contrast in the bladder. It's about four to five minutes later. The rectum looks thickened. Let me just go back to that. The rectum looks thickened, but there's no sign of those varices and there's no sign of bleeding. Another patient, the point about how much blood you see on CT and how good angio is in terms of being positive, the better we see the blood, the better angio is going to be. When it increases from arterial to venous, it's more likely to be positive. But not always. Look at the patient's colon. Rectum is distended with fluid that's high density. And you see on arterial phase, it's interesting. You see the high density present, but you know, I don't see a bleed. Here's the sagittal view. And now you're going and there's the patient's bleed present. So again, sometimes you may not see it early. Here is, as you get some later scans on venous phase, now you see the bleed layering out. So early phase may not always be the best phase. We mentioned that in small bowel. Here the venous phase is so much better. Look at the act of bleeding and look how it looked in arterial phase. High density suggesting, but not being specific for blood. So again, a very important role for multi-phase acquisitions and things you need to think about so you don't get fooled. Again, very nicely shown on the sagittal MIP images. Here's an example of a rectal nodule that bled. You can see it at about nine o'clock right there. And here it is, the act of bleed, really nicely shown on the MIP imaging. And here it is again as you go to Venus. There's also some bleeding seen on the left side. Here it is with a cinematic rendering, the act of bleeding on the right side at about eight to nine o'clock of the patient's rectum scene, just very nicely shown. And you could see it really nicely at the arrows. And again, some MIP imaging. 
you can see the importance of the volume rendering, the cinematic rendering, and the MIP imaging. Now, sometimes you could say, well, maybe it's overkill. Showing it to me six different ways doesn't matter. It's one correct way that matters, and that indeed is true. But sometimes it's these reconstructions that allows you to be certain as to the presence of blood, the site of bleeding, and the precise cause. Here's a patient with rectal bleed post-transrectal biopsy. Again, you can see very nicely the active bleed present. And as you go a bit further and you get with the MIP imaging, you really see the active bleed present, okay? Really very, very nicely shown on those MIP images. And again, here's the sagittal view, really nicely showing you the active bleed, but also showing you the high density. Remember, we mentioned high density. You got to think of blood. You got to think of bleeding, but it's not always going to be the case. But it's a pretty good sign. And here it is as you go to venous phase. The high density increases. You see the layering of the contrast in the patient's rectum, the patient's active bleed. And here it is again on the uh, axial views, really nicely shown. So again, axials, multiplanar, 3D imaging, all of them help you, not only in difficult cases, but in simple cases, because I want to make sure I'm not missing a bleed, so I need to use it in simple cases as well. And again, coronals, sagittals, they're your friend. MIP imaging, volume rendering, they're your friend. They're going to help you do better. Here's a patient, again, to make the point about angiography. Very obvious bleed, very extensive blood in the patient's rectum. Two hours later, the patient gets an angio, and despite this very impressive CT, uh, the angio is negative. Now, that doesn't mean the CT was a false positive. It just means that bleeding can stop pretty quickly. It's usually an hour and a half to two hours from CT to angio, so bleeding can stop. Sometimes when the, when the radiologists know precisely, like IMA in this case, where the bleed is coming from, they will embolize the patient just so they don't have to come back a different day. And here I removed the bony structures. You can see how impressive the bleed around the rectum indeed is. And as you go to venous phase, look how much more extensive that blood is. Very classic active GI bleeding in the rectum. And here again is some late coronal venous phase imaging showing the active bleed, particularly on the left side of the patient's rectum. This article by Skukla, high negative predictive value of CTA for the evaluation of GI bleeding suggests utility for excluding patients that are unlikely to benefit from classic angio and subsequent endovascular therapy. CTA should be the first line of diagnostic study for the evaluation of obscure GI bleeding. Same thing, MDCTA provides a first-line diagnostic tool in the detection of the site of lower GI hemorrhage. As opposed to nuke studies, it allows for greater anatomic assessment, location, and for therapy planning. High sensitivity, and we agree the sensitivity is over 90%. Again, looking for extravasation, looking for a roadmap, what vessel is typically involved that could all be very valuable in surgical planning indeed. And the absolute axial size and volume of hemorrhage, as well as the interval change between arterial and portal venous phases of CTM imaging, 
is predictive of subsequent positive catheter angio. So again, the larger the bleed, the greater the enhancement from and blush and bleed from arterial to venous, the more likely angio is to be uh, positive. Now, it's not always the case. Some patients just stop bleeding very quickly, but statistically, it will indeed uh, be very helpful. And again, I just pulled this statement out. It's a good one to remember. Absolute size and volume of hemorrhage, as well as interval change between arterial and portal venous phase of CTA imaging is predictive of subsequent positive catheter angio. So if you only see a small bleed and it's only maybe seen on venous phase and it's small, you might somehow tell the clinician that, hey, you're going to have a hard time finding a positive uh, bleed on the angio. Maybe angio isn't indicated. That's an interesting statement, but state-of-the-art now is do an angio after the CT. So concluding, I've spoken to you a lot about GI bleeding. CTA is the gold standard for detecting the source of GI bleeding and should be done prior to patient triage, whether we think about angio or colonoscopy. Protocols need to use fast injection rate. You need to do dual phase imaging and looking at the coronals and sagittals is critical, but also particularly the MIPS, but also the CTA um, with volume rendering is very important. And as we learn more about cinematic rendering, that also may prove to be extremely valuable. So with that, I'll stop there and be happy to take any questions. If not, have a great day. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.